Silencer Central. Folks, if you want to learn something new right alongside me, check it out at SilencerCentral.com. I've never put a suppressor on any of my weapons, but I'm going to start now. And I'm using Silencer Central to help get me started because they walk you through the whole process. To include, you can ship the rifle to them, they'll thread it, they'll put it on, and they will ship it back. And you can make payments on the whole thing while you wait for all the licensing to get approved, which they take care of for you. It's a great process, and it's a great company, American manufacturer, right there in South Dakota, and we are really excited to be partnering with them. So check it out at silencercentral.com or give them a call at 888-781-8778 and let them know that you heard it on the Western Huntsman. Hoffman Boots is my go-to boot i love the explorers in the eight inch and they've got the vibram sole totally waterproof no break-in period they just glue your feet to the mountain you can't ask for more out of a boot and you don't have to break the bank to get a pair so check it out at hoffmanboots.com again another american company uh, local north idaho friend of mine who runs this company decided to make some great hunting boots for all people that are serious about getting into the backcountry to chase elk and deer and bear and everything else out there so check it out at hoppinboots.com use promo code all caps lock huntsman 10 at checkout to save you 10 percent hey you guys this is going to be a slight detour episode i was unaware that there was so much interest out there uh, into the homesteading style of uh, or lifestyle that um, myself and my family we kind of live, uh, and I've had a lot of messages and and requests to talk about it uh, from a sense of you know where where we did live, where we just moved from to our new place, and talking about just homesteading in general. So this is going to be that episode. If you are into the whole lifestyle of uh, self reliance and uh, living on a homestead and kind of, you know, doing things a little bit um, off the beaten path of what normal society looks like. This is going to be the episode for you. So let's kick it off. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tines studio. And we are working in conjunction and partnership with Eastman's Hunting Journals. I uh, always forget to throw that out there. Uh, you guys listening, um, Eastman's Hunting Journals has, um, we have partnered with Eastman's and uh, really enjoying this partnership. Great group of guys. If you are not subscribed to the magazine, you are missing out. And if you think magazines are outdated, you're wrong. Check it out <laughs> at Eastmans.com. So, hey, thanks for joining me on this episode, guys. Um, kind of like what I explained there in the beginning uh, before I hit the intro music there. I'm super surprised that uh, I've had as many requests for kind of uh, just a, a like a, a discussion about the way we live our life as homesteaders and and, you know, defining what homesteading is to you or may or may not be to somebody else. Uh, and, and obviously we have moved, uh, from our old homestead, from our 26 acres there in Clark Fork, Idaho to a new place. And I wanted to talk about that for a minute. Uh, just so everybody, I, again, I, I just didn't know, I didn't know there was so much curiosity as to, as to kind of our, our personal lifestyle and, and our personal life itself, uh, where I record and, and what we talk about, but, uh, you know, so I I guess there there's a sense of me that's a that's somewhat flattered by that. Uh, I appreciate the interest in it because uh, I'm pretty passionate about it, and I'm pretty passionate about why we live the way we do. And and you know, I want to define it so that there's no misconception as to how we live as homesteaders too, because there's there's like various levels of homesteading. So 
Let's start with uh, why we moved. If, if you've been listening to this show, you know, when I started the podcast, we lived in a small town north of um, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Well, it's all kind of connected now. They've just kind of, it's the way it's been developed and whatnot. North of Coeur d'Alene called Hayden, Idaho. And we are kind of on the border of Hayden and Athol, Idaho. Uh, Athol sounds like a bad word. It's not. It's A-T-H-O-L. And it, it's funny, like if you... Uh, if you went in the backyard, the, the phone would give you the weather report for Athol, Idaho. If you went in the front yard, um, the weather report would be Hayden, Idaho. So we were kind of right on that border, which is kind of cool. Uh, we had a five-acre plot there uh, with a home and, and a shop. And, and uh, you know, that's that's kind of where we started the, the whole homesteading journey, if you will. Um, things got a little crowded for us down in that Kootenai County, Idaho area. And so we moved north. We'd, we'd wanted to go to Clark Fork, uh, kind of the Clark Fork, Idaho area for a long time. And Clark Fork borders Montana. In fact, on, on our, on our property in Clark Fork, um, if you, if you go to kind of that, almost like what I was explaining from the Hayden property, if you go to one end of the property, you're going to pick up, your phone's going to change the time zone because Montana is where, yeah, you know, uh, you're on mountain time zone, but the panhandle of Idaho is on Pacific time. And so sometimes it would really mess us up where I'd, I'd uh, maybe take the four-wheeler over to the uh, east side of the property or whatever, and my phone would pick up uh, Montana time, and, and I'd be all lost and confused as to what time zone I was on. So uh, interestingly, we were that close to the border. We were really happy on that property. We spent two years there um, living in a fifth wheel. We had bought this fifth wheel when we sold our last place, and the idea was it would be uh, a, a good little place for us to to live until our home was built. Uh, there, there was a lot of complications with building a home, and, and it's a lot of it's due to the nature of construction materials and, and some of the stuff that was happening as a result of COVID-19. And so building a home, what I thought was going to be something that we started fairly soon after moving onto that property within a few months, turned into a year and then kind of went into another year. And there was a lot of waiting for contractors to have time and, and or, or material prices to drop. Anybody paying attention to like lumber prices a couple of years ago? Uh, they were absolutely insane. So what would be, you know, as an example, a $100,000 house was ending up being like a $300,000 house and a $300,000 house ended up being like a $700,000 house. It was insane, construction materials and whatnot. And so we'd kind of switch gears and decided, you know, uh, we have we don't have any problem with uh, a manufactured home. They're uh, very well built. There were some manufacturers that we knew to avoid, but there were some very good manufacturers and so we decided to go that route. And again, there was some things that came up that delayed that process as well. So we uh, had an opportunity come up this last spring. And, and I've been pretty quiet about it because I've had some, uh, I don't know, reservations about where the property was. Not that it was very far from our 26 acres in on uh, uh, there on on kind of River Road, Clark Fork, Idaho area where where we were living. Uh, which, by the way, we still have that property. It's uh, we still own it. We we may or may not end up back there. I I don't know yet. Um, but we are currently, as of the date of this recording, which is August 17th, um, we're in Montana. We're we are Montana. Uh, I guess residents, uh, except for you don't become a resident for six months. So I already, I already have all my hunting tags for Idaho. So uh, we'll still be hunting Idaho this year. Uh, but technically speaking, yeah, we, we moved uh, roughly 12 minutes up the road and ended up on the Montana side. Uh, by nature of knowing this lady that owned this 15-acre piece of land, that has a, uh, a, a nice little house on it. Um, it's got some outbuildings, a shop. Uh, not really a shop. It's not fully enclosed, so I, I hate to call it a shop. But it's a home that's already built, and she was ready to uh, move on. And this lady that we bought the home from is actually, <clears throat> her name's Annie. Very inspiring lady, a very interesting lady. She grew up on a homestead in Alaska and has spent her time, you know, traveling around from home, different homesteads from Alaska to Arizona, now Montana, uh, and, and she offered to sell us this home at a very good price. 
And due to the nature of how fed up we were with the building process or getting a manufactured home up and uh, some of the costs associated with that, it sounded like a great idea to us. So we bought this house from Annie, who, um, you know, she's in her late 70s, and it was a lot for her to take care of. Uh, that said, she's also the time of wo- type of woman that was, uh, when, a, when a grizzly bear came in earlier this year to try to get at her chickens, she went out there with a broom and chased this grizzly bear off. So I, I don't want you to doubt her grit. It was just that time where it's a lot to handle for, for a single lady, and she decided to uh, move closer to where some of her family lives over in kind of coastal Oregon area. So we bought this house. We we bought it from her. It's going to require a lot of work. Uh, there hasn't been any updates to the inside of it for a long time, and so we're kind of working on that now. And I again, I had some reservations about leaving Idaho. The reason why we decided to do it is because we. I don't know if this is permanent. This might be a situation where we bought this home, we're going to fix it up and turn around and sell it and, and move back to Idaho. We don't know. Uh, there, there's, uh, from the hunting aspect, there's really not a lot changes from my end. Uh, Idaho has a lot of liberal seasons. Montana has a lot of liberal seasons. Uh, I, I don't, I don't have any complaints from, from that side of it other than I know Idaho much better, but we are, you know, our lives are still in Idaho. Uh, we, we still, you know, everything we do essentially is based out of Idaho and we are literally, uh, a, a few seconds from the Idaho border. So it's not like it's this big move, right? I mean, again, we're, we're like roughly 12 minutes from our old Idaho property and we just happened to be on the Montana side and it was an opportunity that just made sense for us and our family and it's going to prevent us from having to go through another freaking winter, uh, living in that fifth wheel. And so we did it, and I, I felt like it was uh, it. I, I didn't want to just come right out and start saying, "Oh yeah, now now we live in Montana," you know, you know, without some level of explanation to the audience. Because uh, again, you guys, you guys have have proven to have like this interest in in what we do as homesteaders and and the way we live our life and 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 stuff. So I, I wanted that the like a specific episode to kind of explain why we did that. It's good property. It's really good property. Uh, the house is cool as well. Um, you know, I'm like whatever. When when my wife and I are looking at buying something, she's all about the house. I'm all about the land. And when it came down to it, though it's 15 acres, it's um, you know 11 acres shy of what we had. It's a fully usable 15 acres. Where our 26 acre plot, you know, was roughly 14 or 15 acres of usable land. Um, but there was a, there was another 10 or 11 acres that were either super steep or super brushy or like there was a cliff section, uh, you know, so it's like sixes in terms of usable land. And this land here is, uh, you know, it's got a nice pond on it. It's, it's not as dramatic of a driveway to take care of in the, in the winter. It, it it offers some really good hunting. Uh, it it's it's just a great place. It's a special place, I should say. And and Annie, our the the previous owner, kind of told us about it. And and you know, there's there's things we know about this land that I feel like other buyers might not know. So that's that's that. Uh, I I just wanted to kind of clear the air with that. Yes, we we left Idaho. Uh, we moved 12 minutes away, and we do now reside in Montana. Um, we still own the Idaho land and, and again, it might, might be a situation if it doesn't sell, uh, we, we might end up back there. I don't, I don't know. We'll see because we, we love that land as well. So that kind of brings us to like the next point, uh, as to what people or some of the messages I've got regarding our lifestyle and what to look for in a property. If, if somebody's interested in becoming a homesteader or, or living this type, type of life. First, I want to, I want to define a couple things with, like what is homesteading? What is homesteading to to you versus me versus somebody else who's like a more legit, you know, off grid style homestead? I think that's an important thing to define because there's multiple levels of it. And for us, uh, we don't complicate it. Homesteading to us is just having a place where we can we can raise our kids somewhat remotely and removed from the rest of the world uh, and and have a level of self-reliance from living off the land. So for us, homesteading is this. 
We have a house. It is not off-grid. Uh, we have done that just, you know, by the way, we, we have lived off grid, but in this case, it, it is not off grid. We do have power. We have, uh, we have our own well for water. Uh, we have, uh, you know, those kind of amenities. So it's not like we're off grid homesteaders living only on what we grow. We still go to the grocery store. We, we can live without going to the grocery store though. So I, I think that's an important element. But for us, we just wanted to be removed and have land that we could be self-reliant on and grow our own food and hunt our own food and raise our own livestock as, as needed and as, as necessary and what we, you know, what we desire. We're, we're like, we kind of, we, we're careful with that too because we like to travel a lot. And so we don't have a ton of livestock because we don't want to have to worry about who's going to take care of them when we do travel. So, Everybody has a little bit different way of how they define homesteading. I watch some of these uh, series on TV, you know, where they're, where they're they're trying to portray these hardcore homesteaders, where you know they're completely off grid. They've got solar panels and uh, they've they've got you know goats and cows and and all these other things, and that's great. I, I love that too. That's just not for us. That's not that's not what we're doing. What we do is we rely on the land for things like a good garden, for hunting opportunity, for a place to have a good flock of chickens, you know, things like that. And so, I, I, again, I just thought it was important to define what homesteading means to us. So here's what I, one of the questions I've, I've been getting is, is you know, hey, we're, we're interested in maybe doing a homestead or living a little bit more, uh, you know, with that mindset of self-reliance. What do you look for in a property when you buy it? Okay. I love that question because that's that's a really important thing. If if you're going to be a homesteader, whether you're going to be fully off grid or you're going to be like, you know, just like like us, where we we are able to live off grid, but we're not off grid, you know, and and we still do go and do grocery shopping, uh, and and we do. Granted, our our grocery bill is probably less than yours if you are not a homesteader. <laughs> I, I'm really confident in that, but. What, what I look for is, first of all, is, is there water? I don't mean from a well. I mean, is there access to water in some way? Is there a creek flowing through the property? Is there a pond or a natural spring? Something like that so that if things were to go awry with the grid system going down or maybe, maybe the, I, I've seen a lot of these uh, like five-acre property, they're in like a subdivision, they're on like a community well kind of thing. And when the power goes out, this is how it was in Hayden for us, we were on like a, a community well. And when the power would go out, we would lose water. And so what what I'm looking for is somewhere that is going to be sustainable where the power grid to go down for large amounts of time or water systems or or just a general breakdown in supply chains or uh you know the the way we function as a society if that were to break down sort of like it did when covid-19 initially hit and they did those initial lockdowns and and you know supply chains and empty grocery store shelves and and things like that were were arise so i look for water uh on this particular property we have a creek and we have a natural spring fed pond this pond is about 12 feet deep in the middle of it it's roughly three quarters of an acre, three quarters of an acre in size. So if power goes down, I have copious amounts of water to survive on. I have ways of pumping that water without electricity. I have ways of uh, cleansing or, or purifying that water without electricity. Uh, so those those are things that I look for. Um, another thing is 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 there what I call I refer to it as heatable timber. Meaning, I have I have timber on the land that I can log. I can cut these dead trees down, and I can cut enough wood to get through an entire winter just based off the timber that's on my property. Now, some of you may live in places like Arizona uh, or New Mexico or, or, you know, heck, even like Utah and Colorado, places where maybe there's not a lot of timber. Maybe you live on, on more of a prairie-style property, uh, something along those lines where that is not going to be achievable where you get uh, what I again, I, I think I made the term up. Heatable timber, he, heatable timber means I can cut the tree down, I can split the wood and stack it, and I can put it in a wood burning stove and keep my family warm all winter long, regardless of whether or not there's power. Okay, so that's that's what I mean by heatable timber. If you're in an area where you don't have that, you you might have to rely on going outside of your property to get that. And there's nothing really wrong with that, uh, unless of a you know an extended 
shutdown of of uh, societal norms such as um, you know the power grid and supply chains uh, that could become challenging because you'll need a truck with fuel and and chainsaws with fuel and stuff like that to to get access uh, to to some areas where you can get some timber cut down and and get it back to your property. So that's for for me personally. Uh, we're fortunate enough to live somewhere here in North Idaho, Western Montana. Uh, where where I can uh, this this 15 acre plot I got I can heat our home for roughly five years uh, probably longer but roughly five years with just what's dead timber wise on this land now some wood is better to burn than others and that's a whole other podcast but but that's a uh, again that's uh, something I look for sun exposure. There's two things I look for for sun exposure. Southern exposure, uh, you, you know, I, I want areas of the property that see enough sun to make a productive garden. And in the event I need to rely on it, I can switch to solar panels or solar power. Uh, those are the two things I look for. I have lived on a property where the exposure to sun from like mid-December through mid-February was very, very, very minimal. So that wouldn't affect the garden because it was winter anyway. And and anything we we did, we would do either in a greenhouse or in, in, inside the houses as garden starts or whatever. Um, but we're, we're looking, we, we, it would have been a pretty rough situation had we been reliant on solar uh, to power the home. So that's something that I look for and I really focus in on. You want, you want good southern exposure, uh, you want you want some an area where you could fence off a garden, and I, it doesn't matter if your garden is five feet by ten feet or fifty feet by a hundred feet. Whatever your garden is, you want really good summer sun exposure uh, because it's going to make that garden a lot more productive for you. Again, uh, the the gardening topic itself is a whole episode in itself, and and uh, happy to do that if you guys are interested in it. Uh, but you do want to be you know fairly familiar and and uh, proficient with gardening. If you're going to be living this this kind of lifestyle, um, defensible, I put I, on the list here for for homestead properties. Defensible meaning, again, I'm not a big like conspiracy theorist, but I am long enough in the tooth to understand that, that things can go south very quickly. And if you've gone through COVID and you were paying attention, you understand that as well. If that would have been much worse, we could have had some people that were not prepared for that situation uh, breaking down our door to get in our supplies because we do keep a, a pretty healthy stock of supplies uh, in the event something st- catastrophic happens, whether we're, you know, having to rely on ourselves for two weeks, two months, or two years. We, we've got we've got that covered. Defensible meaning, I have I have uh, visual aspects of the property where I know if somebody's going to be on it and I have non-visual because there's so much thick timber in which I generally run cell cams on and so I know as long as those cell cams are operating and my cell phone is operating I know if something's on that property but if 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 that is let's say that system falls or fails uh, I could switch to uh, it's it's easy to patrol my property I have I have points throughout the property where I know uh, it's I, I I I know what's going on on the property, and let's just put it that way. If a bear is on the property, I know about it. Uh, I also have the kind of dogs that help patrol for me, so I don't have to do much. If there's a bear on my land, uh, my dogs are going to let me know, and that bear is most likely going to be up a tree, <laughs> which uh, one bear found out at one point. So uh, dogs are important. Uh, defensibility is very much reliant on dog. Dogs make a very great defensive tool when you are homesteading. They will keep predators out of your chickens. They will... Uh, let you know if there are intruders, or they they will they will keep you apprised to what's moving through the property. Uh, I look for huntable land. This is you guys obviously. If you listen to my show, you know I'm a big time hunter. I love I love hunting. It's my passion, and it's what I do. And that's also how uh, we we uh, we feed our family is is through hunting. So that's a big part uh, of why I said earlier I'll bet you my grocery bill is a lot less than yours if you live in town because we fill our freezer with a lot of very healthy wild game meat. So the the point with that is, you know, in normal times, like like such as now, I don't really hunt on, on my land, but I do have the kids hunt on it. That's how they get their deer and, and turkeys and, and whatnot. And so uh, I like to have it huntable to an extent of which where I will have, uh, like if, if, again, the supply chain does go down, I have, I have optimal habitat that, 
want uh, that make it so deer and elk and other wild game species want to visit my land. They want to come on my land. There's a reason for it, right? And I want it to be huntable. I don't want neighbors right behind me. So if I shoot a rifle, uh, it's like this major fuss, right? So that's what I'm looking for. It's huntable land. Uh, accessible in the winter. This is really important. I have to be able to take care of this place in the winter. I'm not straight up a mountain, uh, north-facing slope, uh, with no no way to get in and out or plow, or I have to like you know snowshoe it out off the mountain to to get anywhere. Now my my acreage in in Idaho, back in Clark Fork, uh, that that land was somewhat challenging in the winter, but it wasn't that bad. I had a I have a John Deere tractor. Uh, which I still have. I brought it over to the new property here, and I was able to maintain it and take care of it that way. Um, there's there were other ways, access points I could have I could have maneuvered in and out of that were were the necessity to be there, uh, but the necessity never showed itself, so I just plowed it. But uh, you really do want to think about it. if you're looking at property to buy as a homesteader, you really want to look at uh, how how is this property going to be in the winter months to take care of it. Is it going to be a catastrophe? Am I going to have 10 feet of snow to attend with? Uh, what what kind of work is involved? Is it going to be a full-time job taking care of this land in the winter? Really important part. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't want that. There's, there's other priorities that you're going to find that you will have um, when you're looking at your land. So you're not just, you know, the whole time spent working on getting snow out of the way. I got to drink some water. Hang on. Uh, and then the last thing, the last thing that I put on the list for what I'm looking for in a property is livestock. How is this land going to fare with livestock, cows, goats, um, anything else? Uh, when I say livestock, I mean big, li- I'm not talking about chickens. You can, heck, you, you can live in the, in the suburbs and have a, a really uh, healthy chicken operation where you don't ever have to buy eggs again. And if, if, if you are of mind to do that, I would highly, highly recommend it. I know chickens can be a pain in the butt. We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about chickens. Uh, but th- those are, so anyway, with livestock, uh, again, you, you have to be mindful depending on where you live, um, you know, in terms of predators, where, where we are at and where I've always lived. Grizzly bears are concerned. Black bears are concerned. We get mountain lions. We get bobcats. We get coyotes, and I have a neighbor currently who uh, is claiming that there were wolves on on his property, which uh, borders mine, as 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 uh, you know, like a month ago or something. I I didn't see or confirm them; they didn't show up on my cameras. So, but you know, I have no reason to not believe the guy. So that you know, the predator thing when it comes to livestock, livestock also need you know they need some shelter. They need they need a, a, an area that's fenced off where they can move and get in and out of the weather. Uh, you just want you want to be able to have an area where that's possible. So I guess what a lot of what that means is you don't want to buy some piece of land that is nothing but a continuous rolling hill where there's no way to make some type of pasture because those pastures you the flatter they are. I th- in in my opinion, the healthier your animals are going to be and the happier they're going to be, and that's going to be you know one of the goals. So. I told you we'd talk about chickens uh, again. <laughs> I posted a couple of uh, I don't know a week or two ago. I, I posted this reel on Instagram about uh, this chicken coop I'm building over here at the new place, and and it's quite the coop. And I got I, I got a like just incredible amount of uh, messages over this thing, and they're like, oh, what do you think of this, and what do you think of that, and uh, y- you know, asking about chickens. So I, I first want to start out by saying, you do not have to have acreage to have chickens. Okay, you can you can have, and most people know this, but you can have them right there in town. If you live in the suburbs or development, now obviously, if you live somewhere where you've got like these covenants or what do they call those? The neighborhood, um, you know, governing board or or uh, there is a there is a term for it, house or home something. I, I, it's a I, I will never live in somewhere that has one of these, but I know they're out there, and that's why I don't I don't remember the name what they call them. It's going to drive me crazy, but I'll think of it. Uh, but anyway, they have like these governing boards of a neighborhood that, that are going to tell you what color your fence is and where, where you can put your trash can and, and, and crap like that. And they might have rules that um, homeowners association, that's what it is, homeowners association. Uh, they're going to have, uh, you know, maybe some rules. Maybe you can't have chickens because of the noise or smells or whatever. If you live somewhere like that, I can't help you. 
But if you are somewhere where it is, you know, by county or city ordinance allowed for you to have some chickens, I highly recommend it. And you don't need, again, eight, like we live on 15 acres. You don't need 15 acres, okay? However, I, I do know that there are folks that live in town that have chickens that, uh, you know, fail to recognize that you still have predators. There are still coyotes. There are still raccoons and there are still skunks that will get your chickens and there are still neighbor dogs that have had no exposure to chickens that will kill your chickens. Uh, so you got to be aware of that. Predators, I call this predator le- like level one and two. So if you live, if you live in the suburbs and you can, you can have uh, like a chicken coop in, in a corner of your backyard and you can have, you know, two to four, maybe six chickens, whatever you want. And you build a little coop. Um, there's a few things you need to keep in mind. This is this is all you're you're looking at level one protection. So just good old fashioned chicken wire in most cases will do the job. Uh, if you have a raccoon or a skunk problem, uh, you're you're gonna want to bump that up to like a fabric mesh. This stuff uh, it, it, that'll keep raccoons from like chewing through it and whatnot. But uh, that that level one, you're just protecting it from neighbor cats, neighbor dogs, that maybe the occasional coyote that'll come through there, uh, birds of prey, owls. Hawks, they will steal your chickens. So you just want a fully enclosed coop system um, that uh, you're going to keep. You're going to keep uh, th- those kind of predators out. Level two predators, like where I'm at. So I do have mountain lions, uh, bobcats, which are very cunning when it comes to getting chickens. Uh, coyotes, they're very good at it. I've got uh, a lot of bears. Bears are very interested. I my coop has to be bear proof. So here's what I do. I bought one of those old hickory sheds and converted it into this giant chicken coop. Now we have 16 chickens, so we have we have a lot of chickens. Uh, but what happens is I I converted that big shed. It's like a 12 by 16 shed. Uh, I've got nesting boxes in it. I've got uh, roosting bars in there. I've got you know a feeding area and supply area, and I've got really good ventilation. And when and, and this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter if you're uh, a suburban chicken coop owner or like uh, what, what the kind of operation we have chickens in their coop require a lot of ventilation so just think it, it takes more than just one little vent to keep them healthy uh, bad ventilation will kill chickens so very well ventilated it's bear proofed and every night those chickens are completely closed off to predators the predators cannot get into that shed due to the door that i made uh, in the back which is a little hatch uh, that gets closed every single night. And so those chickens are safe. They're in there. It's bear-proof, raccoon-proof. It's bobcat-proof, all that kind of stuff. You don't want to leave them in there all day and night. Uh, so as they go out, there is a secondary kind of chicken-cooped area. That area, uh, I, I I dug down, and I'm going to probably post some videos of this if you guys want. Let me know if that's of interest to you. Uh, again, my email is jim at thewesternhuntsman.com. I, I dug a trench roughly eight inches deep all the way around this uh, outside pen area. And I buried the fabric mesh and chicken coop wire down into there and poured concrete in that. Just these bags of concrete. It uh, doesn't have to look pretty because then you just put the dirt over the top of it. And that keeps predators like skunks. Uh, are, are they, They're very good at this. They will dig right underneath that fence and, and get up into your chicken coop. So that's what I did. I dug it down. And then the, there is an extended chicken area that we have. I call it the chicken yard. And that's where during the summer months uh, they can they can get out there and just peck around and find bugs and, and free range essentially. And this is a very big yard. Uh, we're talking, I don't know how to describe it outside of acreages. So it would be like 20% of an acre. Uh, so it's it's a very big area for our chickens to free range, and they do that all summer. Uh, and then in the winter, the, as as the snow kind of socks them in, they're going to be more limited to the actual shed coop and the outdoor chicken coop area that I made, which is roughly 20 feet by 10 feet. So they have a good area, and that has a metal roof over it as well. Um, and, and that way you don't want your chickens locked up in a small tight coop all winter long. They, A, they'll be unhappy and B, uh, they can get really sick and C, they won't lay as many eggs. Uh, so that's what I did. So they have their actual solid bear proof coop that they stay in the night in during all 12 months of the year. They can get out to that, like, you know, 20 foot section, outdoor area where it's just, you know, bare ground. And I, I, I was telling you, I buried the wire all the way around 
Uh, and then they have their big area, which if there's no snow in the winter, they're more than welcome to go out there as well. I open that little gate uh, back there and they can they can get out into the big area. That area is also surrounded by electric horse livestock fence. And that what happens is uh, a bear will come up and try to climb. It's like a six foot fence. I have a uh, filled fence that's uh, that's framed with four by four posts and, and two by four treated lumber all the way around it. But what will happen is those bears will come up. Uh, or, or a mountain lion or a bobcat or something, they'll want to climb that fence and then that, that fence will zap them right on the, right on the nose uh, and turn them around. It keeps them out. It's very, very effective. There's a lot of great trail cameras out there. I've run the Tacticams, and that's a great system, especially their cell cameras. I've run a lot of different brands that I've, I've recommended to you guys in the past, but the right fit at the right time is the SpyPoint trail cameras. I have uh, a couple of the Flex G36s that are cell cams. They do a really good job for keeping track of everything that's going on on my property. And I also have for, you know, kind of out in the back country, I've got these Force Pros. Man, the picture quality on those Force Pros is, is just amazing. If you guys saw some of the bear pictures I was showing you during Spring Bear, that was a Force Pro. Really great cameras. I, I'm really excited that they are, uh, they chose to sponsor the show because I've been, I've I've been using SpyPoint for a long time, and, and I think you guys are going to be just as happy as I am with them. And check them out at SpyPoint.com and let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. Some of you might be old enough to remember back in the day when you can go to Walmart and get you a Savage Rifle for very cheap. And they did a good job, but they weren't, like, equipped for some of the hardcore hunting out there that we do today. If that's a memory that you have with Savage, like I do... I'm telling you, it's not like that anymore. Savage Arms is one of the premier firearms manufacturers dedicated to us hunters. I have this freaking uh, Savage 110. It's the Apex Hunter. And this thing is amazing. I love the AccuTrigger. You can also get them with the AccuFit, which allows you to adjust the stock. So if you're buying them for youth hunters or whatever, or just, you know, rifles fit you different. It's so flexible. It's so perfect for every hunter. It's just not the same Savage that it was 30, 40 years ago. It's a great firearm for everyday use while hunting, and they support hunters and they support this show, and I really appreciate Savage Arms. Check them out anywhere firearms are sold or go to savagearms.com to find out more. So, uh, again, chickens, you just want them, they, they need to be able to move. Um, there's a couple points I, I do want to talk about with, with chickens real quick, too. Here, I'll spend like two minutes. There is this debate about whether or not you offer heat to your chickens in the winter. Uh, unless you are somewhere that you have consistent negative temperatures, like negative 20 type kind of temperatures, or even negative five, I guess, where it's consistently like that for weeks at a time, we don't get that here where I live. Our, our winters are generally in the, in the teens to the thirties in the winter months. And so I do not heat that chicken coop at night. And I'll tell you a little secret about that. We did a little, little study, my wife and I, we got real scientific about it. We put a heat lamp in the chicken coop uh, the first winter, about halfway through. And then a very wise, older homesteader filled us in on the on the fact that chickens don't need that in these kind of temperatures. We don't have, you know, we're not negative 20. We're not negative 30. Uh, we'll get those temperatures periodically. And even then, we don't, don't heat them because it's not sustained temperatures. It'll stay like that for a few days, and the chickens are totally fine. So the, what happened is when we removed the heat lamp... We are, are at the time we had 10 chickens and we were getting like two eggs a day. When we removed the heat lamp, we were getting eight to 10 eggs a day. Their egg production went way up and the chickens seemed a lot happier without that unnatural light and heat source inside the chicken coop. I don't know what the science is between that or behind that, but I'm just filling you guys in uh, on on the question of... Like I know there's, you know, you have places like Alaska and parts of Wyoming or Minnesota where you guys get these awful freaking negative temperatures all winter long. Uh, We don't have that and we don't heat that chicken coop and we get better and more eggs because of it. And the last thing I want to do, a question I've gotten a couple of times is adding to your chicken flock. Let's say you've got two chickens and you decide to acquire two more chickens and add them. You can't just throw those chickens together uh, broad daylight 
<coughs> excuse me, and <clears throat> expect those chickens to get along. Chickens are like any other animal. They have a pecking order. They have a, um, you know, like a uh, who's in charge, who's not in charge. Uh, well, uh, you know, pecking order. <laughs> no pun intended because they're chickens. Uh, here's what you do. If you're adding, again, this is just because I've got this specific question a couple of times. When we bought this new property here in Montana, we acquired six chickens with the property because Annie was not taking these uh, chickens with them. And she kind of taught us this method, and it worked perfect. You get the coop set up. You get your chickens, uh, whoever's the bigger group. In this case, I was bringing 10 chickens to an area where there was six chickens. The six chickens were separated in a different coop that was not very bear-proof, so that was just temporary. I put the 10 chickens in the uh, the new coop, the, the, the nice one, the bear-proof one, and let them get used to it for a few hours, and then as night fell... Uh, and it got dark. If you know anything about chickens, what they do is they go inside and they get up on a roost bar and that's they, they're roosting for the night. Just like all you turkey hunters out there, you'll know that turkeys like to roost in a tree at nighttime. Same thing with chickens. Very similar animal. You'll learn a lot about turkey hunting, by the way, by having chickens. So they, you wait till they start roosting. And then you go to the other area where your other chickens are and they're going to be roosting as well. And so they're really easy to catch and you grab them. And you take them to the new chicken coop and you put them up on a roosting bar mixed in with your older chickens or other chickens. It, there is something about the fact that they're roosting together. They wake up and the, they, they kind of come out of this roosting phase, wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, huh, there's new chickens with us and they just accept it. So that's my recommendation for that. Um, guys, any other questions with chickens, feel free to call me or uh, send me an email, uh, jim at the Western Huntsman.com. Hit me up there, and if you guys have other homesteading, this is real basic, real foundational stuff, but I wanted to get that out and knock this episode out because, again, I've gotten a lot of questions about it, and I wanted to knock out the discussion as to why we moved from uh, from Idaho to Montana. Um, in our mind, we don't look at it like, oh, we made this big move from Idaho to Montana. All we did was move a few minutes down the road, and it just happens to be on the Montana side. <laughs> so... Uh, I just kind of wanted to make those two big points and, and discuss the homesteading life. If you are considering homesteading, let me tell you something. It, you won't regret it. It's it's a great way to live. And it doesn't matter if you're going full-on off-grid, you know, homesteading with all the all the livestock and solar panels and, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or you're doing kind of what we do, where we kind of live... You know, we have power, but we're prepared to live off-grid. Uh, we, we are set up. If the power grid goes down, we're going to be fine. Uh, we can we can maintain ourselves with water, food, everything here on the homestead. I've got these chickens, 16 chickens. I'm getting anywhere from 12 to 16 eggs per day, and there is nothing. Eggs, in my opinion, are a superfood. Uh, you should eat eggs every day, and it's a very healthy way uh, to start the day, by the way. It's a great source of protein. Um, and, and again, we can live indefinitely if the supply chain goes down just on the eggs alone. And we're not even talking about the hunting and the gardening and the other meat that we raise, uh, whether it's meat rabbits or, or, or whatever, meat chickens, uh, those kind of things. So if, uh, again, if you're, if you're thinking about going to this style of life or, or lifestyle, uh, it's very fulfilling, it's it's a lot of hard work. You do have to be gritty. You have to be good with an axe. You have to be generally pretty handy with things. You know that that saying that you're a jack of all trades, master of none, kind of thing. That's that's kind of how you live as a homesteader. Uh, I'm a half-ass electrician. I'm a half-ass plumber. Uh, I'm a decent carpenter. I know what tools will work in what circumstances. I know how to operate saws and hammers and i know how to i'm really handy <laughs> with a screwed gun uh you know just things like that you don't want to be one of those people uh that you know you, you you've lived in the city your whole life and you don't even know how to change a tire to come in and living like this you really want to learn some of those skills those soft skills uh how to build things how to how to put fences up how to chop trees down or uh, act well let me put it I, I don't chop trees down anymore i know how to but i that's not what i do i cut them down because i, I you know i'm sensible and i have a nice chainsaw <laughs> so get you get real handy with a chainsaw um 
it's a real satisfying way of life. It really is. It, it's so satisfying. Not only the the sense of satisfaction I get when I I uh, knock down a, a cord of wood and it's all stacked and ready and covered and all that kind of stuff, ready to go for the winter. Man, that's satisfying. But it's also satisfying when I lay down at night knowing that I, my wife and I, and my two daughters are protected. If if things get turn ugly out there, uh, we have some kind of catastrophic event. We lose power. The supply chain falls apart. It's very satisfying knowing that I can go for years feeding my kids, keeping them warm, uh, protecting them from undesirables, all these things that could go wrong out there in, in today's world that is just chaotic and, and crazy, uh, exasperated by the uh, crazy media that likes to exaggerate things anyway. Um, I can protect my, my kids are going to be fine. You know, we, we homestead, we homeschool, we hunt, we garden, uh, we raise chickens and rabbits and things like that. We, we, we know how to live off the land when or if that situation should arise. So uh, it, that, that was one of the questions I, I had was, hey, you've been doing this for a while. Was it worth it? Absolutely. I'll never go back. I will never go back to, for, for me. I'll never go back to living in a town where I can open up my window and toss my neighbor a bar of soap because he ran out. I, I love my neighbors, but I, I want to be further away. Uh, I, I will never go back to relying on grocery stores and supply chains to feed my family and my kids. I'll never go back to being at the mercy of utility companies to keep my family warm. I'm going to do that myself. And my, my, my wife and kids, they uh, maybe I'm not giving them enough credit by saying I'm going to do that myself because they put in a lot of work. My wife puts in more work than I do. In fact, she's a, an amazing gardener. Um, and and she, she busts her ass around here just as much as I do, if not more. My kids, they work their butts off. Uh, they, and they enjoy it. Their job is uh, keeping these chickens alive and feeding them and putting them up at night and making sure they have water and the water's not frozen in the winter. That's a challenge in itself. Uh, in fact, that could be a whole other episode in itself, keeping the, the water from freezing, <laughs> uh, in the winter. So, so yeah, guys, uh, I'll never go back to any other way of life. I, I love this lifestyle. I love, I love being, I, I love the feeling of self-reliance, the satisfaction. It just makes me feel like I've accomplished something great. You know, in my day job, I can, I can achieve these great things you know, maybe I produce this much revenue, you know, for the company kind of thing. And that feels good too, because they pay me for it. But it's nothing like the satisfaction I get from knowing that my, my kids are permanently okay from a sense that I can feed them. I can keep them warm. I can keep them safe. Uh, those, those things are, are not something that could be replicated in, any other lifestyle in a big city where you're just relying on utility companies, grocery stores, and truck drivers for everything that that uh, makes the world go round. So again, nothing wrong with that. It's just for for me, uh, it's, it's just never going to be that way again. Uh, we 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 have like a new standard of living. So hopefully that helps. I want to leave you guys with this though. Again, it's mid August. Hunting season's right around the corner. And uh, I have been slacking with the Dashboard Hunting Mentor, Mentor Series that I was doing last year and the year before. Uh, it's just been, you know, an absolute chaotic year uh, for for that. So what what we're what I want to do is have you guys submit li- listener questions via the website. And I'm I'm going to just fess up. I have two websites, guys. I have the old website, which is the westernhuntsman.com, which I cannot for the life of me figure out how to get rid of. <laughs> and I can't, I can't figure out how to redirect that to the new website. The new website is the westernhuntsmanpodcast.com. And it, if you're following me on Instagram, it, that link in the bio is what will take you to that one. And that is the way to do this. But on that website... There's a little microphone icon at the bottom of any page you're on within the website. Go to that website and you click on that icon and you re- you can record your question. And uh, I want to do that for the next Dashboard Hunting Mentor Series before hunting season kicks off because it's right around the corner. And I know we have a lot of new hunters out there uh, that listen to this show and have a lot of questions on very basic foundational things that maybe a lot of podcasts don't cover. This is going to be for you. 
I want to cover this, the, this foundational information. Basic things you need to know how to hunt a deer, how to hunt a turkey, how to hunt a bear, how to hunt an elk. These are the things I, I want to be able to play your question on the show and uh, for, for all the listeners to hear your question. And so that, that's why, you, you know, don't be shy about what you're asking, because I'll bet you if you have that question, there's going to be a lot of other people that have that question as well. Maybe you have a youth hunter that has a question. And and um, I'm th- th- those those series, um, we keep the foul language to an absolute minimum, meaning we, we don't have any foul language on those episodes. So uh, if you have a youth hunter that has a question, go to thewesternhuntsmanpodcast.com and submit a question via the voicemail system there. And I'm going to do like a video on, on Instagram to explain this in, in a little greater detail. But um, any question hunting related, if you're a brand new hunter, hit me up thewesternhuntsmanpodcast.com and hit that little microphone and record your question to me and send it in. And I will play those back and answer those questions here on the show, hopefully prior to hunting season getting kicked off here. Because uh, once once September hits, ladies and gents, I, I will be uh, pretty much all but unavailable <laughs> for that month. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, if you guys if you guys have questions, send them in. I, I, I love talking about that kind of stuff, and I think it really helps, uh, you know, hearing the question from the person with the question and getting that question answered. It's going gonna, it's gonna to answer a lot of other questions that may not just be, you know, super obvious to a lot of us. So with that, guys, thanks a bunch for tuning in. Let me know what you thought of this episode about homesteading. If you want more information, you can hit me up on Instagram, at the Western Huntsman, uh, on, through those, uh, you know, DMs. Bear with me on, on those. Uh, it takes a long time for me to get through all those. So, uh, you know, just if you do send me a message and, and you don't get an immediate response, um, I promise I'm trying. I, I will get to you. So uh, the other way to do it is through at my email, which I've mentioned a couple times on this episode, which is jim at thewesternhuntsman.com. That's my email address. And that's a great way to let me know what you think of this episode. Um, if you guys liked it. I'd really appreciate any good reviews you can give us on on Apple Podcasts or you know Spotify or whatever wherever you can write a good review. Uh, that goes a long way to helping this show get kind of recognized and and you know the algorithms that pick this kind of stuff up. It it really helps me out and I, I sincerely appreciate uh, those good reviews. Um, if you're gonna write a bad review, uh, don't why waste your time? Like why waste your time? Just go listen to something else. So <laughs> hopefully that helps, guys. Again, thanks a bunch for tuning in. I'm really looking forward to putting this one out there. Hit me up, Jim at thewesternhuntsman.com, or check us out at inst- on Instagram at the Western Huntsman. We will see you guys soon. Have a great month. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.